If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is the World According to Zig podcast for July 14th, 2019. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. And don't forget to check out my other podcast. There's a new episode of that out today as well. The Individual One podcast, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, among other places. This is going to be a unique and very personal episode of the podcast. Uh, There is um, a similarity, though, to the World According to Zig podcast and the Individual One podcast this week, and that is that our guests are both from Louisville, Kentucky, although they're very, very different guests. The Individual One podcast is the congressman from Louisville, Kentucky, my old friend John Yarmouth. Uh, You never want to miss that when the two of us get together. So please make sure you, you listen to episode number 42 of the Individual One podcast. But our guest for the World According to Zig podcast is a very interesting guy who's uh, from a very different walk of life that I'll explain shortly. Later on in the podcast, after we talk to our guest, a bunch of other things I want to talk about, including uh, my review of Toy Story 4, uh, my own mortality, and how uh, Dateline NBC might get involved in that, Uh, as well as the latest on the uh, Jeffrey Epstein case and... For those who have been following the leaving never the never ending leaving Neverland saga, I want to play a clip involving uh, Alfonso Rivera that I referred to on Twitter a couple of days ago that got some people upset and confused, and I want to explain how that relates to the Michael Jackson uh, situation. We'll do all that shortly, but first, our guest is a guy by the name of Michael Wilson, and Michael Wilson was my little brother in the Big Brothers, Big Sisters program 16 years ago in Louisville, Kentucky. And he and I had a short but very, very eventful relationship, one that I have thought a lot about over the last 16 years, and one that I feel very badly about in some ways because it was cut short. I thought that uh, I was helping him in quite a, a number of ways, and he was helping me as well. It was a, a great uh, friendship between a, a, a mentor and uh, a little brother in Louisville, Kentucky, when I was there as a talk radio host and a television host. And much to my surprise, 
A couple weeks ago, Michael Wilson suddenly contacted me on Facebook. And I was thrilled. I immediately called him. We spoke briefly. I didn't want to talk very long because I knew that I would want to have him on the podcast and I wanted that to be as fresh as possible. So he uh, eagerly agreed to come on the podcast. And so we scheduled that for today. And so let's do that now. Michael Wilson from Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. How y'all doing today, everybody that's listening? <laughs> Michael, it's the same thing. Michael, it's it's great to hear from you. Uh, we reacquainted after uh, 16 years the other day when you contacted me yes, on sir. Facebook, which I was very surprised and but quite happy about because I've been thinking about you quite a bit over the last uh, 16 years. And so I figured... Well, thank you. I've been thinking about you, too. Well, I, I wanted to, to go back and tell the story because I think it's an interesting story on a couple of different levels. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back... About 16 years ago, and you're part of the Big Brothers, Big Sisters program in Louisville. And tell us, from your recollection, what happened next? Uh, What happened next? Basically, after I met you, you end up having some charges brought to you (laughs) that I've seen in the news. And I'm guessing they actually really wanted me because a lot of people, you know, wanted to actually, you feel me, have my opinion on it. Really, I don't think you did anything wrong. you one of the nicest guys I know. I mean, I don't see how I had nothing to do with it. I don't even see how it came to you. But, you know, life, uh, life's life. So I, I, I hate that for you. But, you know, at least you made it. And I heard you did real good last time we was talking about it because I remember, but I can't remember too much. Okay, well, I think we went ahead about fifteen steps. So let's let's yeah. go backwards. I, what I okay. meant by what, what I meant was let's talk about when we first met, uh, and then then we'll talk about everything after that. What do you remember about how we met and what happened at that point about sixteen years ago? Uh, I remember that I got on the radio. That's that's how and I remember uh, you teaching me how to golf. Uh, I, I remember me and you actually had a pretty nice bond. That's all I remember. I mean, from the 16 years and the first day I met and I was on radio, and it, it got recorded, and I heard it and liked it. Right. So here's here's my recollection of what happened, and you tell me if this jives with you. So uh, I was asked to do a promotion for the Big Brothers Big Sisters on the radio in Louisville, and you were yes, and you were brought on to be like the uh, the example of the type of kid that needed a big brother. And you came on the show, and, and you were incredibly charismatic, and you, you stole everybody's heart, including my own. And, yeah. and at that point, I believe I asked, well, why don't I just be Michael's big brother? Uh, yes. Does that, does that jive with your recollection? Yes, it does. That, that, I remember that. And I wanted you to be, I said, you wanted to, and I wanted you to do that. All right. I do remember that. Okay, and so we started hanging out, and I believe I, I not only did I, I try to teach you some golf, but we brought you back on the radio at least one other time. Do you remember that? Yes, sir. Yeah, I do remember that. Because the reason I remember that is because when when you left, that I think it was the second time you were on the radio, and you were, you were really good in that appearance as well. Uh, and you were you, 16 years ago. How old would you have been, Michael? Well, 
I don't know, because I thought I was actually six when I was talking on the first radio thing, but I think I was like nine on that radio thing, so I probably had to be nine or ten. I think you were probably nine. That's that's about right. And so anyway, it, yeah. at that point, you you afterwards you told me that this was the best day of your whole life. Do you have any rec- oh. do you recollect that at all? Yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that was hey, that was the best day of my life. Really, all right. <laughs> that much. Yeah, I had fun with it. All right, so. So so we started hanging out. I was your big brother. Uh, we did a bunch of things together. Now, I also remember that your mom, while she was supportive of this, she was a little wary. Is that a, is that a fair assessment on my part? Uh, really, yes, but really I was young, so I don't remember. But she probably was. A little bit. I'm not too sure, but I mean, you know, I, you know, something happened to me too that last year, so I can't remember too much. But I mean, I do remember that. Well, we'll talk about what happened to you last year in a, in a minute. So, yes, so sir. you, so you and I, we formed this bond. You're kind of a character on my radio show, if you will. Uh, yeah. People, people. Do you remember where people? Um, recognizing you from the radio do you remember whether people were saying hey i heard you on the radio and do you, do you remember yeah, actually i do and you know what the it's my teacher miss crowley i was actually in fourth or fifth grade and whenever i came back to school she said i heard you on the radio show i said that's good and you sent me Miss Crowley, uh, uh, R.I.P. Her, I've heard she passed away. I'm very sad for that, but she was the only lady that told me about it and heard it. And I really, a lot of people told me that they seen me, but when she told me, it really made made my heart. You send me chill because Miss Crowley was a very, very nice lady. Well, that's cool. I didn't even, I didn't know about that. But so, so you, you know, you you had become pretty well known to the audience of, of the radio station, which was the number one radio station in Louisville at the time. I don't know if it still is now, uh, but yeah. but I, I, then I, I don't remember exactly how or why this happened, but I remember it vividly. The Big Brothers Big Sisters people called me l- while I was on the air. I think Dang. it was in a, in a commercial break, and told me that you and I could no longer see each other. That be, uh, and, I, and I can't remember exactly why that was. I think it, it might have been because of something that happened on the radio, or they didn't. They weren't uncomfortable with the the you becoming a character on the radio. This is just my my very soft recollection. Um, Dang, yeah. No, you don't. You don't remember this at all, do you? I, I do remember them telling me, my auntie telling me that I couldn't go on the radio station for a little minute and I wasn't going to be able to see you. But I don't, I, I, I really don't know. I didn't know Big Brothers Big Sisters had something to do with it, but I just, I, I really didn't know. Only thing I was told was I was seeing you on the news. That's all I remember. Well, I think <laughs> I think you're getting a, a couple of things from the timeline mixed up, but that's understandable. Sixteen years later, and especially since since you were young, but we'll we'll figure yeah. all that out as we go here. So, so do do you have any recollection of how you felt when you were told that you and I could no longer see each other? Actually, I really felt bad. I felt really, really angry. Uh, I, I didn't like it because really, like, I felt like it was answering all my dreams whenever I met you and I got to do 
what I wanted to do and be on the radio. Heck, I wanted to be an actor and a director and a producer. It's still something else that I want to do. So uh, I really I agree with that. And I feel like I really was going through it when I couldn't see you. I and I and I was very I, I was very believe me I was very upset about it and, and you should have heard the conversation I had off the air uh, with Big Brothers Big Sisters and then I went on the air and I blasted them to smithereens yeah. um, and then yeah. uh, shortly thereafter I don't know how long it was after that I got fired from that job and you were very tangentially involved in that not in the firing but the reason why you were tangentially involved was. I had made a comment about an ex-girlfriend of mine who was a TV host in Louisville named Darcy DeVita. And it was, Dar- oh. it was Darcy DeVita who had asked me to become part of the Big Brothers Big Sisters program, which is how you and I met. Now, this had happened well, yeah. well after she and I had stopped dating. And, uh, and this became relevant to the episode you referred to as me being brought up on charges, which is not actually what yeah. happened. What, what happened yeah. was, so what happened was this, and you were way too young to understand any of this. So yeah. I, I don't know if you, I mean, did you hear when I got fired? Is, do you have any, remember, any recollection of that? Uh, yes, I do. I, I do remember that, but I, I, I was kind of sad that you would get fired. But they, uh, I, I really was very, very sad. But actually, uh, I really don't remember too much over it. I mean, I was like, dang, I didn't want you to go nowhere. I actually really wanted you to be in Louisville, but, right. you know. I, I Okay, so I, I get it. So, so here's what happens. So I get fired. And then I moved here to Los Angeles to do a radio show here in Los Angeles owned by the same company that fired me in Louisville, which is crazy, but that's the nature of the radio business. Uh, But Darcy ends up suing me. Darcy sued sued me for well over a million dollars because of the things that I had said about her, which were, by the way, totally true, which she admitted were true. And in court, that's that's a 100% defense. You cannot be found liable for something that is said that is true, at least <laughs> so far you can't. That might change soon. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I was I came back to Louisville and uh, for this trial. Now, this trial should never have happened. The trial was a yeah. total joke. But, but I was quite shocked when I came back to Louisville, and the trial was a huge news story. I mean, it was massive. I'm curious, yeah. do, do you have any memory of me being on trial there in Louisville? Well, yes, I do. I told you I remember the news part. Uh, I remember them showing your faces. I remember them not showing you whenever they whenever they brought me up. I remember them not saying my name, but they saying the little brother from the little brother's big sister's program. I do remember that. Really? Okay. I See, yeah. I didn't even know that that part had made news coverage. And the reason why you became part of that trial was that Part and this should have had nothing to do with the case at all, but this was a bizarre world case. Nothing made any sense. But they, their yeah. their strategy was to make me look like a bad guy, right? I would their strategy yeah. was to make me look like a bad boyfriend, as if that's somehow uh, something you can sue over. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. they they wanted to make me look like a bad guy. And so part of what they were doing was, you know, I was somehow this horrible, bad boyfriend. And we said, well, wait a minute. Hold on a second. If, if I was yeah. this horrible guy, 
why did Darcy ask me as when she was still on the television, uh, the Fox affiliate there in, in Louisville, she asked yeah. me to be part of the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. So I'm this horrible guy, but she wants she brings me in to to mentor a, a, a young kid like Michael Wilson. That doesn't make any yeah. damn sense. Right. So, yeah. So, so anyway, they ended up asking me on the stand about you. And, uh, and, and not only did they ask me about you, my recollection is I, I almost broke down in tears talking about this. Uh, and, Man, and, yeah, you did. And I, and I, t- I, I remember hearing that from Terry Minor when he talked to me about that. Really? So Terry Miners yeah. is the uh, afternoon host of WHAS, le- legendary talk show host there, still on the air in Louisville. Will be probably till the day he dies. Terry, to- yeah. Terry told you about my testimony at trial when you ran into him. Yes. Well, yeah, when I ran into him, but he didn't know who I was, and uh, he may have, but he may not have. But really, it seems like he and he won't talk to me right then and there. But I don't know. But he. T- but, I mean, but what okay, did he tell? He, what did Terry tell you? He told me that uh, that uh, you beat your case and you're out in California, and he said that you brought you that I was brought into the court thing, and when they asked you and you cried, really, I do remember. Wow. Yes. Okay, that's very interesting. So, um, yeah. and and and, I, and that's not why I did it. Trust me, I am not nearly good a good enough actor to uh, cry on demand. But I think it probably yeah. helped us win the case <laughs> because uh, yeah. I th- uh, because I, I think it definitely showed a lot of the jurors, especially the female jurors. And there was a there was a black gentleman on the jury who I think probably was uh, impressed by the story as well. So so I I think that uh, it didn't hurt my case. <laughs> not that that's why I did it. But uh, you were on my mind, uh, and uh, and I was I was very outraged by everything that had transpired with regard to you. And I had you know I didn't know whether or not you were going to be aware of the trial or or the testimony or anything like that. And so um, so I ended up winning the trial unanimously. Uh, you know, so, she, so she lost on all counts. Um, and, uh, it was a, you know, even though we were kind of surprised, we thought we were going to lose because the, the judge was so against us and the media was so against us. I mean, it was a complete, it was a complete clusterfuck, but we ended up winning. And so, um, I, I, I've, since then, I've always wondered, okay, I wonder what happened to Michael Wilson. And, and I, I I figured there's no way I'm ever going to find you um and then all of a yeah. sudden a couple of weeks ago uh you contacted me on facebook now what caused you after all these years to contact me on facebook well the reason why i contacted you was because i had uh, our show as a tape uh I, I guess the producer that did your radio show in louisville she gave me two tapes my auntie has one and i believe my uh Granny has one, but I filmed one at my granny's house, so I filmed the tape. And then after I did, after I went to the tape, I was playing it and things. I was saying it on Facebook, and I ended up hearing your name so much to where I actually wanted to, uh, that I actually wanted to find you. So I looked you up on Facebook. I had been doing it like a couple other times, but this time it actually showed me the real you and everything, and I knew it was you, and I clicked the button to add friend, and 
That's what happened. That's how I ended up meeting you. So, so you recently listened to our old interviews. How do they sound? Uh, they sound pretty good. Uh, my voice was like a girl, though. <laughs> I really, really hate it. <laughs> but you know. Oh, you were cute as hell, Mike Al. You were a very cute yeah. kid. Thank you. I appreciate it. But yeah, it was just too much and everything, and. I just, you feel me, I actually liked it. It really almost made me have tears about the uh, about me being on the radio. Then when I was listening to it, we'll be talking about that further on. But, you know, my tears and everything, and I got two kids now, so I was real, real happy, and I'm happy that you feel me. I ran into you and everything, and it was just, you feel me, uh, a moment, actually. Well, you, you mentioned so, you, you mentioned you have two kids now, so let's talk about yep. how you've turned out. So, so part of uh, why you were part of the Big Brothers Big Sisters program is that my recollection is that you didn't have a father figure. Is that accurate? No, and yeah, but no. I mean, my daddy had to spend time in jail. I mean, my daddy had to do something stuff, but I mean, he spent time with me when he could. Okay, so 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 you so you didn't have a. You, it's not that you had no father figure. It's just that you had a troubled father figure. Is that is that fair? Yeah, he he making it way better now. He he doing very very nice. Good and everything, but good. Uh, yeah. Well, that's good to hear. So, but so you now have two kids. How old are your kids? My son, six years old. My daughter, four. See, that's amazing. I have a seven and a two-year-old, and I'm a hell of a lot older than you are. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't, I wasn't trying to do it when I get older. I, at a certain age, I don't want no more kids. But okay. But, but there is one big difference between my – well, two big differences. One, the age, and two, the second big difference between my situation with kids and yours is that my understanding is you're not married. Is that accurate? That, that is correct. I'm not married. Now, now, nope. are the kids with the same woman? Uh, yes, they are. So why didn't you marry her? Uh, I really, nah, me and her wasn't, you feel me, equalizing with each other. For real, she wasn't, I, I didn't want to marry her. She wasn't meant for me, she ain't meant for me. I'm finding me a new woman, actually. You're going to find yourself a new woman. Well, maybe yeah. maybe you should have decided that after the first kid. Why'd you have a second kid? Because, I mean, I was still messing with her. I still, I mean, I do love her and everything, but you feel me? I moved on. She moved on. That's all it is. You feel me? Okay. And for real, I get a whole lot of hell about the things that I say, but really she's, she's not even, you feel me? She she's not even like that too much for me. I mean, I still love her. I you can be help if I can. If I can't, I can't. But for real, she's not even my problem. Well, I'm trying to get me except my kids. That's my only problem with her. Well, from my our brief conversation on the phone, though, this has led to some other issues, including, uh, well, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. So, so you referenced earlier that something happened to you last year. So what happened to you yes, last sir. year? What happened to you last year? Uh, last year, I'm guessing somebody shot me in the face. Uh, Hold on a second, it, you're, Michael. You're guessing someone shot you in the face? No, I know somebody shot me. I ain't guessing. 
I got shot in the face. <laughs> it's really, I just, you know, it, it, it's real. I, I made it. I, I had a head injury. They only shot me one time. So you got shot in the face, but you don't know you don't know for sure who did it. Is that true? Is that nope. true? Yeah, that's true. I don't know who did it. I don't even know who they are. All I know is four people. You feel me? That's all I know. There were four people? Yeah. Okay. And from hearing from my family saying I was fighting. All right, so which I don't know. Because you so, so you don't remember a lot of the episode because you got shot in the face, is that right? Uh yeah. That 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 is you should be pretty accurate. And and do you know why you were shot in the face? Well, yes I do. Uh one, I didn't tell you this, but I feel like I got set up. And two, uh I made a mistake. I ain't on no R. Kelly stuff, but basically uh a woman lied to me about her age and she was not the age I thought she was, and then I got shot because somebody went into her mama's house and went out the window, and it wasn't me. They claimed that she was at my apartment and that she was there, which she wasn't. So basically I got shot pretty much for no reason, in my opinion. I mean, I, I, I've i been kind of emotional about it because as I was waiting with the two weeks, uh, me and you, you feel me, was you talking about it in two weeks, and I was like, man, I'm ready for the radio show to talk about it. But I had so much anger, so much sadness, and a really, really a lot of frustration because I don't feel like people see it my way as I see it. All right, so let me, let, me, let me try to break this down. So it sounds like you had a relationship with a woman who you did not realize was underage, right? Yes. All right. How underage was she? Uh, she was very underage. And uh, I'm just going to put it that way. Uh, she was very underage. I didn't think she was underage. Uh, when I looked at her, I thought she was actually act older because, like I said, some women, you feel me, that was older than her acted just like her or worse. So. Okay. So, so you. Your version of the story is you had a relationship with a very underage girl that you did not realize was underage, and you believe that her family took revenge on you by shooting you in the face. Yes, I'm believing family. I'm not sure. It it, it could have really been anything, but yes, that that's what I'm believing. That's the story I'm leaning towards. You're leaning towards. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah and, okay. and how did you survive being shot in the face, and what impact has that had on your health? Uh, <laughs> that impact, I'm really mad. See, I told you I'm a Libra, so my scales is up and down with that. But I made it because of God. You see me, Jesus Christ. I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I do believe in God. I know he's real. I've seen him. I've talked to him. I can't say that too much. All I can say is I was in the dream whenever I got shot. You feel me? Okay. And I didn't even know until I woke up out and was in the hospital. Wow. Okay. Uh, that, that's a whole lot of story there, Michael. Um, now, uh, so tell us, how are you doing otherwise, other than having two uh, children out of wedlock and getting involved in this situation with an underage girl that results you being shot in the face? What, what do you do for a living? How's the rest of your life? Uh, well, since I got shot in my face, unfortunately, I, I'm, I'm on Social Security. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be an actor. Also, I got a, a movie that I'm in, 
It's called Brothers Keeper. I actually got to go there at four to uh, do my rehearsal and actually practice my scenes. It's a pretty good show. Hope everybody sees it on Amazon. Uh, look it up. But it's called My Brother's Keeper. So you're you're an actor. You're an actor in a movie that's coming out called My Brother's Keeper. Yes, and I'm proud. I no offense. I think that's one of the good things I got uh, with with me being shot. Whenever I came back to life, God made that situation for me, and it, it's been very good. But yes, I'm trying to be an actor. Well, wow, that sounds that sounds really cool. Um, all right, so. <laughs> Uh, anything else that you want to tell us about yourself? Not really too much. Uh, I mean, I done got probably arrested a couple times. My life, actually, you feel me? I done fought some cases. I done did some things. But, man, I'm a blessing to be here. And I believe in God and Jesus. And I ain't got nothing else to say about me. I'm doing pretty good. I don't want to be that I ain't really doing too much. I'm trying to stay out the way and not be doing that. I ain't doing no game banging stuff, no none of that. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. I'm glad that you hear the uh, hear that you feel like you're doing well, and I hope that you are. And I wish you the best with the the acting and whatever else that you end up doing. But I got to ask you, Michael. Yeah. A lot of people listening to this are going to think, okay, uh, here you here you are, a, a kid who. I had a dad who spent some time in in prison. Uh, you're you're living in the uh, the inner city of Louisville, uh, and uh, they're gonna be wondering. All right, how much did that environment <clears throat> impact the problems that you have had? The the kids out of wedlock, the the underage girl, the getting shot. You said you've been arrested a couple times. How much do you believe that that environment impacted those events? Well, I don't know. To me, I feel like as me being a man, I shouldn't have did none of the stuff that I've ever did. And you feel me, whatever happened, happened. And you feel me, the environment didn't have nothing to do with it. It was just put in my head that it was us. Some stuff I shouldn't have did, some stuff I did do, some stuff, you feel me, I feel like wasn't correct nor right. Like me getting shot, I feel like I shouldn't have got shot. I feel like I shouldn't even, you feel me, mess with her, but that's a different story for a, a reason unknown. And, like, I just, I, I don't want nothing to do about it. I don't want no trouble with it. All right. But basically, my my life's okay. It, it ain't as bad as I think, but it, it ain't horrible neither. Well, good. You know, that's about as good as you can ask for. And I'm really, yeah. I'm really glad that you got back in touch. And just for the, just for the record, because, uh, and this is, I mean this in a joking fashion, but just for the record, and people will understand why I'm asking this question, uh, yeah. I, I never uh, sexually abused you in any way or abused you in any way uh, 16 Hell years no. ago. Uh, what, what, what was that? Hell no. Okay, all right. Can I get an affidavit to that effect? Because, you know, there's a lot of this going around now where, where people get back in touch with, with people many years later and they're looking for something else. So I just want to make clear there's there, that, 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 is, that avenue has been cut off, correct? Hell yeah, but no, I don't do that shit. <laughs> okay. Hell no, I ain't with none of that shit. I ain't have no problems. No, I ain't like that shit. Uh-uh. uh-uh. I don't even think you like that. You was talking about women when I first met you. I actually <laughs> liked it. 
And I hope you're not that way. Michael, it's a joke. It's a joke because of it's a joke because of other stories that have occurred that I've been I've been involved with investigating. But uh, but look, thanks for being such a good sport. Uh, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks for getting back in touch. And please keep in touch, will you? Will you do that? Yo, most definitely. You know, I called you all last week. I'm gonna call you again this week, and I'm gonna call you some more. Maybe I get to come visit you, and we have a lunch. All right, that sounds like a plan. All right, Mike. All right, I'll talk to you later, Mike Alec Wilson. Thanks so much for your time, man. Thank you very much. I have a great day. Have a nice one. Bye. Well, that went uh, pretty well, I think. Especially, I mean, I'm glad I got him on the record saying I never sexually abused. <laughs> Although I'm not 100% sure he understood where I was coming from that. But uh, but it's on the record now. So he, unless he's Wade Robson or James Safechuck, he can never go back on that, right? I guess we don't, we don't live in a world anymore where you can never go back on, on that kind of situation. But uh, uh, at least if, if the, uh, the media wants to believe you. But I, I digress. I will talk uh, shortly about uh, the latest in Leaving Neverland. But I, I wanted to uh, talk about a couple other things first. Since the last World According to Zig podcast, uh, I had the opportunity to see the movie Toy Story 4 uh, with my seven-year-old daughter, Grace. I am the leader! Do as I say! And my two-year-old daughter, Diana. Uh, Grace is seven going on 17 in some ways and also uh, still about a four-year-old in other ways. Uh, Diana, uh, she's probably closer to seven <laughs> And she is to two. In fact, we're we're becoming convinced that Diana may uh, leave the house at about seven years old. She's that far along. But um, Diana is obsessed with the Toy Story movies. And so we took her to see Toy Story 4 as her first in-theater movie. And she was great. She had no problem uh, sitting through the whole thing. She was very eagerly anticipating it because she's probably seen the first three Toy Story movies at least at least 10 times each and because she has seen them i have seen them as well because you know i'm usually there making sure that uh, you know she doesn't do something to harm herself uh, while she's watching these and she doesn't to be clear she doesn't watch them in all one sitting this is like in 15 minute increments before she goes to bed so she has seen all the first three many many times and was very eager to see number four and i was uh, had some trepidation about this because I felt that Toy Story 3 was the perfect ending. Now, about as perfect an ending as you're going to get. And for those who are not familiar with the Toy Story series, and by the way, there might be some spoilers here, so if you don't want to be spoiled, then you know, go ahead and fast forward for the next uh, five to ten minutes. Uh, but um, for those who are unfamiliar with Toy Story, Toy Story 3 ends with Andy the boy who has owned these toys for the first three movies, going off to college. And Woody, the cowboy, the main character, saying so long, partner, as he drives off to college. And they are left, as Andy has left them, with a new owner, this girl named Bonnie. Now, there were some problems with you know, Bonnie, and I'm, it's not even worth getting into because it's a freaking kid's movie. But you know, it was, So it wasn't a perfect ending, but it was as close as you could get, where... The, the toys have a happy place to land. Andy has his goodbye. And you said goodbye to the series. And you were able to imagine that, you know, it was a happily ever, and ever after ending, but it was also realistic. Because after all, kids outgrow toys. 
And, you know, most of them get thrown in the trash, but these toys were lucky enough to find a home with Bonnie. And so I was very concerned that Toy Story 4 was going to mess with that ending. And um, my concerns were warranted because I now feel like Toy Story 4 has butchered the entire series. In fact, now that we still watch the first three occasionally, it's difficult for me to even watch the first three. Because I believe number four has destroyed the entire narrative of the first three Toy Story movies. And again, without giving too much of it away, basically the story in Toy Story 4 is that Bonnie, their new owner, and it's important to point out, this is all happening right after Andy has gone to college in the timeline, right after Woody has given up the opportunity to go to college as the one toy that Andy was going to take to college, which is kind of unrealistic that that would happen to begin with, but okay, fine. And uh, so Woody's giving up everything to be with his toy friends and to be with Bonnie. And a few weeks later, Bonnie creates this uh, toy, if you will, uh, that's uh, basically an arts and crafts, which is a fork, which she is a plastic fork. She's named Forky. Well, right off the bat, I'm not buying any of this because uh, Forky is just not a buyable concept. A a kid at Bonnie's age in kindergarten might uh, take a a liking to Forky for a day or two, but that's about it. And then Forky's going in the trash. Uh, But they they pretend that Forky is now the the be-all, end-all, the most important toy that she has, and Woody's job is to protect Forky. So I'm not buying the premise right off the bat, but okay, I'm not the audience. It's a it's a toy. It's a kids movie. Fine, and the, and from a technological perspective, the movie's amazing. I mean, it's spectacular. It's so much better than the other three, purely from a visual standpoint. But from a plot perspective, uh, I, I I was not impressed at all. Uh, there's a lot of hijinks, a lot of stuff that's really irrelevant. Uh, it doesn't have the same charm or the same humor. It's not nearly as politically incorrect uh, as the other three uh, Toy Story movies were at times. Uh, and um, But more importantly, the way the whole thing ends, in my view, destroys all of this. Because the whole narrative of this thing is Woody the Cowboy being the protector of his friends, and that they're all going to stick together no matter what. And at the end of this movie, which again, the premise of which I didn't buy, at the end of this movie, Woody basically abandons all of his friends for little Bo Peep, for a chick, for a chick. Woody abandons everything after, I mean... In, in Toy Story 3, they're all holding hands going into the incinerator uh, like they're going to die together. And now just a few weeks later, he's leaving everybody for a chick and he doesn't even have genitalia. I mean, my God, if you're going to sell out your friends for a chick, at least, you know, you got to be able to get laid. Woody can't get laid. He's got he's got no genitalia. Now, for the record, my daughter Grace loved Little Bo Peep because she's fierce. She's a fierce fighter. So she liked it, and that's fine. I guess that's the target audience. I'm not. But even the climactic moment when Woody says goodbye is dealt with in like five seconds. So after four movies in 24 years, he's going to abandon everybody for a chick? And we're going to say goodbye in five seconds, and that's it? I'm sorry. Uh, Now, you're probably wondering, Zig, why do you care? Why is this bothering you so much? 
much. Well, uh, it bothers me from from a movie making perspective, but also uh, as a father of these two kids who have loved these movies. Again, I go back to these other three. When we watch these other three, I'm like, this is all bullshit. Woody's going to abandon them in the end for a chick. Who cares? This this whole narrative is bullshit. Not only that, though, uh, I have to admit, like like most reactions people have, it has a lot to do with me and where I am in my life. And with a daughter who's seven and a daughter who's six, and Grace, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast before, Grace is quickly exiting the one what I would call the wonder years of her life, right? I mean, that's natural. She's seven years old. As I've already referenced, sometimes she's acts 17, sometimes she acts four. She's in this weird no man's land. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? And it's obvious that, you know, her, her years where she looks at the world with wonder are on borrowed time. And I think we're probably going to get this year with Santa Claus, I'm pretty confident of that. Although, you know, we could have a security breach at any moment. And as much as an, as an investigator as she is, she is vulnerable to figuring this out. Uh, but she is so invested in Santa. We're probably going to get through 2019 with Santa. In fact, there's a, I think there's actually a scenario where Diana figures out Santa before Grace does. Because Diana is, is a real-world type of person who clearly doesn't take any bullshit. Uh, so it wouldn't shock me if, if Diana ends up informing Grace that there's no Santa Claus. But the point of this is... We're very quickly uh, exiting the wonder years. Then we get about a 15-minute respite before the teenage years start. And that's when it's all over for, for 100%. And you know, it's a little bit like, uh, in reverse, having a parent who's going into Alzheimer's. When your kid leaves the wonder years and goes into almost their teenage years, you start to lose them. You, you lose, they lose their memories of everything that happened before that, or certainly the context, or they stop caring about the same things. And it's a little bit like that, which, of course, is just a horrendous transition to go through for the person who's still in the same place. In this case, the, it's the parent uh, who is left behind. And the kid moves on and starts to not give a shit about you. So, you know, you don't have that many things to 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 latch on to to remain connected to them with and the toy story movies are one of those and so that's part of why uh this uh hit a nerve with me and bothers me so much i i think it also probably has to do with i've been thinking a lot about my own mortality and this has been uh, for a couple of reasons one i'm 52 uh, I'm I'm old. Uh, my career is basically over. My life, other than my kids, is basically over. Uh, my body's starting to break down, even though I've recently lost weight. But, uh, you know, you're, you're 52, you're 52. And my wife has been really on me to get uh, more life insurance, which I had a, a fun uh, joke with on Twitter the other day because I tweeted about this mostly jokingly saying, I'm putting it out there for the record that my wife has really, really been on me to get more life insurance just in case she murders me. I want uh, Dateline NBC and Keith Morrison to have a record of this for the uh, what will surely be a two-hour Dateline special on my murder. Now, Dateline neither does one-hour 
shows for the shows that aren't that great or two hour shows for the ones that they think can really hold an audience. And so uh, I, I made this joke on Twitter about, you know, hoping that I would be the subject of a two hour dateline if my, my, my wife does murder me with the motive now being to collect on this life insurance that she's urging me to buy. Much to my surprise, Dateline actually responded because I tagged the Dateline NBC Twitter feed along with Keith Morrison, who's my favorite Dateline host, and probably yours as well if you watch the show Dateline. And my wife and I watch Datelines all the time. I mean, it's basically our, our number one pastime. We watch Dateline, and then we, we talk about how we would do things differently if we were going to murder each other. Uh, Half-jokingly, half-seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so anyway, I, Dateline responded by saying, uh, "Your story sounds a little linear. We need a twist if this is going to be two hours." <laughs> the, the actual Dateline NBC Twitter feed responded, which was freaking hilarious. And so um, I responded to that. I said, "Wait a minute, hold on. Uh, I am sure that I'm going to warrant a two-hour dateline. One, because I have so many enemies. I am so hated that the number of possible other suspects than my wife would be so long that it would require two hours to get involved uh, in, in this story in depth. Uh, and uh, plus, you know, my wife is attractive. My daughters are attractive. You're going to want to put them on camera as much as possible. This is definitely a two-hour. But I ended it by saying, you know what, I trust you guys to make this work. They did not respond <laughs> to that particular tweet. But um, I'm still debating on what to do about the uh, the life insurance. Interestingly enough, the wife of Aaron Yarmouth, who is the son of Congressman John Yarmouth, our guest on the Individual One podcast this week, she responded to that tweet saying, you know, interestingly, her husband, Aaron, her new husband, has, uh, is the beneficiary on her life insurance, but not vice versa. And I, I then tweeted at Dateline saying, you know what, this story is even better than mine. We've got uh, the, the wife and pregnant wife. She's about to give birth. Uh, the uh, pregnant wife of a newspaper publisher who's the son of a prominent congressman who's uh, laying down the marker in case she gets murdered for a Dateline NBC. <laughs> but about 90, 95% of all this was done in fun, and, uh, and I hope uh, you appreciate that. But it, the, the bigger issue is I'm definitely thinking a lot about my own mortality, and uh, I don't have that many more years left. So it's, it, gets to be, it gets to be a drag uh, mentally and physically, that's for sure. I'm sure we'll talk more about that in a later episode of the World According to Zig podcast, if there are any. If my wife allows there to be any more, or if you find if I if I suddenly turn up dead, you'll know exactly what really happened. <laughs> All right, um, we for some reason we keep uh, having references to the HBO uh, fake film Leaving Neverland, and I promised one this week. I did not intend one this week, but it came up late in the week, and this occurred because uh, Alfonso Rivera, who is uh, an entertainer singer-dancer, probably best well-known for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, he um, is a golfer. Now, follow me here. Uh, and there is a massive a celebrity golf tournament in Lake Tahoe this week. It's been going on for 30 years. 
Uh, Lake Tahoe is amazing, by the way. I, we took our vacation there last year to this exact spot. I played this exact golf course. Uh, it is amazing. You ever get a chance to go to South Lake Tahoe, do it. Best weather in the world. Most, one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's just perfect. Anyway, so uh, Alfonso Rivera has a connection to Michael Jackson because a lot like Wade Robson, uh, when he was a kid, he was basically became famous as a Michael Jackson impersonator. I think they did a commercial together. He's been very supportive of Michael Jackson. In fact, in 2013, when Wade Robson came out uh, on the Today Show and said he was sexually abused by Michael Jackson, uh, Alfonso Rivera uh, mocked Wade Robson. And I think he even said, uh, why didn't he abuse me? You know, kind of like... Hey, dude, wasn't I attractive enough? Now, uh, a lot of people mocked Wade Robson or disagreed with Wade Robson or said they didn't believe Wade Robson in 2013. And now post Me Too and post Leaving Neverland have changed their tunes a little bit. So this is all leading up to uh, NBC's broadcast of the golf tournament. And on Friday, they started uh, showing uh, a shot, a putting, uh, uh, you know, he was on the putting green. Alfonso Rivera was putting. And they started talking about the event that occurs the night before the tournament begins. The tournament begins on Friday. And on Thursday night, all the celebrities that are want to do so do a concert where they do karaoke. And some of this is pretty serious stuff, and it's a tradition with the event. And they got some you know, pretty significant, legitimate talents. And apparently, Afonso Rivera, for years and years, has been doing Michael Jackson. Apparently doing Billie Jean. And so Peter Jacobson, who it's important to point out, is not real bright. I think that might be part of what's going on here. But Peter Jacobson, the NBC golf announcer, is commentating on Alfonso Rivera uh, on the putting green. And he references that Rivera did not do his Michael Jackson impersonation as he usually does the previous night during the karaoke event and here's what that sounded like friday on nbc charlie he's always the highlighted uh, celebrity karaoke last night he didn't do his michael jackson billy jean he didn't do the bruno mars version yeah he's a talented guy he is incredibly talented yeah also super nice too but not having his best day on the golf course all right. Now, when I heard that, I'm like, rut row, uh, we got a situation here. Um, because that sounds like Rivera has decided to censor himself on doing Michael Jackson post leaving Neverland. Doesn't prove it, but it certainly is consistent with it. And by the way, as, as someone who has done a lot of broadcasting and listened to tens of thousands of hours of sports broadcasting... My spidey senses were up in the way that the other announcers immediately cut in. I want you to listen to this again and listen to the other two announcers and how quickly they jump in here and change the subject. Listen. Charlie, he's always the highlighted uh, celebrity karaoke. Last night he didn't do his Michael Jackson Billie Jean. He didn't do the Bruno Mars version. Yeah, he's a talented guy. He is incredibly talented. Yeah, also super nice, too, but not having his best day on the golf course. All right, so the other two announcers wanted nothing to do with the Michael Jackson aspect. Let's just move on. He's a talented guy, nice guy, not having a good day on the golf course. All that was consistent with, to me, Peter Jacobson not being smart enough to make the connection to, gee, he didn't do this because of 
leaving Neverland. Now, again, that doesn't prove it. So I went on Twitter and I asked Afonso Rivera in response to a tweet he had put out there about the golf tournament, hey, did you do this or not do this because of leaving Neverland? If true, you need to reevaluate. You need to do some research because the film is a fantasy. Now, he didn't respond, but the Michael Jackson fans, who are constantly still talking about this months later on Twitter, uh, were all abuzz about this. And, and many of them, understandably, were saying, well, wait a minute. Uh, you know, Rivera has been very uh, supportive of Michael Jackson. There's no evidence that this changes it. Well, I agree, and I hope that's not the case, but I think that deserves an answer. And so I may tweet out the video later on today and tag Rivera again once the tournament is over and see whether or not we can get an answer as to why he did that. But that was the source of why I said what I did on Twitter, in case you were wondering about that. Uh, It's interesting to point out with the Jeffrey Epstein uh, story blowing up and his indictment, uh, just how absurdly weak the evidence is against Michael Jackson for somewhat similar charges, as well as with Jerry Sandusky, with very uh, similar charges as well. I mean, the evidence against Epstein has all sorts of things that never existed in either the Jackson or the Sandusky case, yet no one wants to make those connections. And it's incredibly frustrating. I, I mean, there's all sorts of things with regard to Epstein that appear, assuming it's real, appear to be evidence that did not even come close to existing in the Jackson or Sandusky cases. I want to mention the one thing, since I'm always hesitant to talk about a case like this where we don't have all the facts yet, because sometimes, sometimes the facts can be different once you get to the details than what you're being told in the media. I'm not saying that's what's happening with Epstein, but I'm just, I'm, I'm always hesitant to do that. But here's one aspect that gets me upset about the Epstein story, Epstein story already, and that is the resignation of Labor Secretary Alex Acosta. I talk more about this in the Individual One podcast, but he was forced to resign this week after Donald Trump had supported him and supposedly was still even supporting him after his resignation because he was the one that made the deal back in 2007, 2008 with Epstein uh, regarding similar charges. And I hate 2020 hindsight. I really hate 2020 hindsight. And this to me is classic 2020 hindsight. Though, you know, it was really frustrating to me that so many Me Too people were mocking the concept that 2007, 2008 was so long ago and it was a different world. Well, wait a minute. Did Me Too change the world or not? I believe it did change the world. Not necessarily for the better, some for the better, but some for the worse. You can't claim the world was changed post Harvey Weinstein and then go back to 2007, 2008 and say, aha, you should have been able to get a better deal here. or You should have gone to trial on this on this kind of case. This is a guy with a lot of money, a lot of high powered connections. He was paying off witnesses, including the accusers. And this is the part that no one in the media wants to admit. And Acosta implied this in his press conference before he got uh, forced to resign because of all the trashy media coverage. And, of course, the media tarred and feathered him over this, proving my point. And that's this. The accusers were not cooperating. I believe they were probably paid off. These were, you've got to remember what the accusation here, a lot of them were, that he was, Epstein was already paying these girls for sex. He was referring to them as prostitutes, even though it was rape because they were apparently underage. Well, these are women that are clearly 
and I'm not blaming them for this, clearly willing to be paid. And so if they're being paid, once again, right off the bat, their credibility is toast, but their willingness to cooperate becomes non-existent. So how can you destroy somebody when they make a deal for a criminal conviction in a situation where you can't go to war because you don't have all your weapons in place because Epstein is able to compromise witnesses, including victims? And there have been some people who have tried to defend Acosta, but and his press conference did not go well from a PR standpoint. But I thought it was really unfair that he was forced to resign. And frankly, it was a dangerous precedent because what does that say to future prosecutors? They, that means you must overcharge and overpursue charges in a trial in this kind of case because otherwise it might turn out later down the road that it's a it's a political bombshell waiting to go off on your career that's not the way prosecutorial decisions are supposed to be made and that's going to set up a very dangerous precedent but of course no one cares about dangerous precedents because we're living in a very strange time all right that'll do it for this edition of the world according to zig podcast Uh, Please make sure, as always, to uh, share it via social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. Make sure you check out the Individual One podcast as well. And do yourself a favor, if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.